Welcome back to the HFR podcast. We've got four today, almost a full house. We've got NE29's Pog World Champion from 1998, Ollie Schools. How are you doing? I'm all right, thanks. Good man, good man. We've got it. We've got Darren again, who's accrued another five days' holiday since his last appearance. How are you doing? <laughs> I am Darren. I've actually booked two holidays since the last time we since the last time we spoke as well. Hi, lads. Spot on, mate. And we've got Stephen Evans, Walls End's finest left footed centre forward, circa 2003. How are you going, mate? Uh, aye, good man. Um, thanks for the intro. I like it. <laughs> Those were the days, mate. Those were the days. Um, just want to start. You've made some pretty mad predictions that have come come to the fore, Ollie, so far on the podcast, it's been, and it's been picked up on. Obviously, you've got the Cole Palmer one we talked about last time. Mary Earps from the last one, Nike have released the kit since. Have you seen that? Yeah, I have. I um, do you want to just give with the lottery numbers now, <laughs> and then? But I actually, I want you. I want you to give us six numbers so we can record it, and then if them come out, it'll be like a, it'll go viral for like the rest of your life. So can you give us six numbers? I will. I. I'll start with the Irish lottery numbers. Speaking of which, actually, I put. I forgot to put the Irish lottery on last night. And uh, two of my numbers came out. I only put three numbers on. Two of my numbers come out. And I was, like, obviously panicking because if my other number came out, I would have lost 600 quid, wouldn't I? Um, so, lottery numbers, right. I'll start with my Irish ones. I've got three, 11, and 39. So, that's three for John Beresford, 11 for Gary Speed, 39 for Bruno Gomorrah's. And then I've got my kids, which is 6, 12, and 25. There you go. Right, if them come out then, we're fucking sick of death, aren't we? But I've wrote them down so we can check anyways, mate. But I'm not um, saying Millions of listeners, which we don't have, put them on. We only get like three quid each. <laughs> Fair point. Fair point. So I, I think we'll call this section Ollie the Octopus. Do you remember that octopus who used to select the, the winner of the World Cup, yeah? It's funny because my wife thinks I've got eight arms, like... <laughs> We'll keep it going till the Euros, and we'll—I think we'll use it. Anyways, um, so we'll—I just want to read out some feedback for feedback corner. We've got a, a, a couple of good ones from from the last podcast. Um, really enjoyed this as usual. You need some gentle intro music, mind. I pressed play while I was working, and it took me a little while for it to load up, so I forgot and nearly shit myself when you started talking. It's him. But what's funny about that is that can you remember comments when that happened on the last time we were doing the podcast and we had the music on and it was like the volume was too high and nearly fucking killed everyone. Uh so the we put the intro music on and that was of a different volume to the speech. So people put it on normal volume, but the music came through really loud and people were like nearly crashing our cars when they were listening to it in the cars. It's like massive blast came through. So I'll try not to uh, cause any road accidents. So I well, we do actually have some music to put at the start of the, the podcast, and it's that's down to me. I do apologise. I'll get that in ASAP. Um, we've got another one here. It says, great stuff. Two gems from Ollie. Um, I've got that old charm, you know, horseshit all over the ground. That's uh, that's a nice, nice touch. And uh, before he did his skull, I liked that as well, mate. That was good. Anyways, all positive, good stuff. And we're, uh, we're happy that everyone's listening and, and taking it. Um as easy as what we are. <laughs> um, first up, I just want—I want to talk about Everton and Sean Dyche. Um, obviously, another loss this weekend. That's three games in a row now. Um, I'll come to you first, Darren. Does this mean that they're down? 
No, I don't. I don't think it means that. that it's way too. It's way too early. Um, because they've saved themselves quite late in the last few seasons. Albeit, obviously, Dyche came in at the uh, at the end of last season. It's way too early to write anyone off. And I think, like, if you look at that, I mean, I'm not going to profess to have watched every single minute of every Everton game so far, but they've created a lot of chances. They've conceded daft goals. I think those are things they can address. I think the the bigger worry would be whether anyone else leaves between now and the uh, end of the window and who they can bring in. It's like Calvert-Lewin's made of dry spaghetti. And even when he's like, even when his legs work, he's managed to break his face. Like it's, he can't catch a break. So they need him in to score goals. And they need like a little bit more, a little bit more options up front. Whether that young lad from Sporting whose name escapes us, it's a big ask from him, but whether he can add a, add a few goals in. I think it's just, yeah, it's a few tweaks and, you know, they can switch it around and get, get those sort of like nil-nils and, and nil-ones turned into draws and wins, I think. But I think the worst thing, it's just going to be an awful season for them. Like, even if they stay up, it's just going to be drab. Like, there's just not, there's not a lot going. But I, I wouldn't I wouldn't completely write them off uh, after three games. Like, yeah. also, there's just like, there's other sides that aren't that good in the in the league. So I don't, I don't think they're going to need that many points to stay up. Yeah. I'm coming to you now, Stephen, just, um, just just kind of continuing that on. If if you can't beat Wolves at home, like, where, where are you going to target the points? Um, well, yeah, I mean, I'll kind of echo what, what Darren says a little bit, but I think that eventually time does catch up with you. I think we saw it a few years ago with Sunderland. You can only kind of survive for so long where you're scraping 17, you're scraping 16, you're celebrating staying up on the last day of the season for so long until it bites you in the arse, really. Um, I think they need to sign people and they need to sign people quickly. I know that they're signing, well, that that 95% the way they're to sign and Beto from Udinese, who I haven't seen too much, but I had a quick check of his stats and he's got a, a goal record. I think he scored about 12 in 30 last season. So not groundbreaking, but it's probably better than what they've got at the minute. Um, they are going to have to sort of target the games against the sides around them. I think they were a bit unlucky yesterday. Um, but, you know, I mean, I, I predicted that it would be nil-nil. I just thought they would kind of eke out a draw between them. Um, but they're going to have to target certain games. You know, you're looting your Sheffield United, your Bournemouth, that sort of thing. And, you know, the short last season, they can pick up, they, they can pick up results on their day when, you know, they beat uh, Brighton away, was it 4-5-1 or something, which was pretty, pretty random. Um, so, I, I don't know. I think... There's going to be a lot of tight games this season for them, whether it be kind of nil-nils, nil-ones, or winning one-nil. I can't imagine them having, you know, many four-threes. But, yeah, I think we'll just wait and see. But me personally, I, I think we'll go down. Um, I think time will catch up with them and they'll, they'll be in the championship next year in that bright new shiny stadium. Right, definitely. I think I think with Evan, the, the issues are broader, aren't they? And one for you, Ollie. Just what, what do you think needs to happen, or what, what do you think needs to change at that that club to change the fortunes? Do you think it's similar to Newcastle when they were owned by Mike Ashley? Like it goes a bit deeper, doesn't it? It's similar in a way, but not into like they've spent a lot of money, haven't they? Which we didn't, but they've spent it so badly. They've just 
if in the short term, I think what they need to do is they need to get someone in who's going to get out some of the deadwood and bring some quality in. That's that that not necessarily the best players, but like what Eddie Howe did when we stayed up that season, just bringing people who are going to make a difference here and now, people who are going to fit into a system that they want to play. They're they're a mess like at the minute, and it must be awful for the fans. That I'm no lover of Everton, like, but I, it must be just be. I know exactly how it feels. It's just hopeless, isn't it? Um, and I think I'm sort of. In agreement with Ev, I think they might go down. I mean, at the end of the day, Monty's right about there's too many bad teams in the league, but actually, they're one of them. Um, they're really poor. I don't know. I, in the short term, I think they need to get somebody else in other than Dice. It's just not working, is it? Um, it's interesting just to pick up on what Monty said about uh, how he doesn't profess to have watched every minute of every Everton game this season. That's that's pretty similar to most Everton fans, I think, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> They've left like they've left early just about every week. Aye, that's a thing, isn't it? It's yeah, like a like like a modern a modern theme, isn't it? Where the away fans leave before the end of the game. I've never known anything like it. Ah, uh, it's mad. But didn't didn't used to be a thing where like you just couldn't leave? Like I'm sure yeah. Newcastle do this where they like you have to wait 15 minutes after the final whistle or like after whatever time. And uh, then you get like, used to... it seems now you can just like spill out. They used to get like at away games. I was at like they used to like announce oh fifteen minutes before the end of the game. They used to uh, announce over the tunnel like oh can the away fans please stay in their seats until twenty minutes after kick off eh, after full time. And they, everyone just booed us when I came on. Though. The, the thing with the thing with Everton is that you know when you look at the players that have left, they haven't replaced them, so they haven't even like enhanced the squad by bringing in any other players. But you know you have got like uh, Yerry Mina who left in the summer, leaving them with kind of Michael Keane and. And um, Tchaikovsky and Connor Cody left as well, so and haven't brought anyone in. So how do you expect to to push forward when you haven't replaced the people who have left in the first place? That's mad, isn't it? How how I don't know why they let Cody go. Well, I mean, Just, Cody was yeah. Cody was only on loan though, wasn't he? Yeah, but he, I, don't I think why some of it came kind of like, like five million or something, couldn't I? I don't know why. I just, like, I just don't think they've got the money to do it, and then. Because they're looking for investment, and I think that's recently fallen through with that, like American Sports Investment Group this week. And I'm sure Dice has said in press conferences, like about the about the signings, like it's just it's all we can do. It's not as if it's not as if it's out of choice. And when it like when you get yourself in that situation, like it is, it is dire. And they've always had like a decent production line of young players as well. But alas, there doesn't seem to be anyone there who's going to. Who's going to make a difference for them? Mm. It kind of feels like time's run out for them now, isn't it? It's almost to a point where relegation might be a good thing. And when people say that, kind of, oh, go down, regroup, and, and come back up, and you've got kind of the, the momentum, you know, Newcastle have done it a few times. Yeah. Um, it's like it, it's not it's not the best thing to happen, but it might be a good thing so they can clear the deadwood out and, and start again, you know. But the, the, the risk is there in that you don't come back up. You know, look at Leeds when they went down and didn't come back for 14 years. So, how quick is it going to be to clear that deadwood out? They're on big wages, aren't they? They're not. They're not going anywhere quickly, are they? Well, that's the thing. You, you've got the like the Pickford, who's there. It, you, he's a saleable asset, right? They could have sold him in the summer, maybe he's first 50, 60 million, and then reinvested back in the squad. Um, but it's a it's a big risk, isn't it? And like the legs of him, um, Calvert Lewin, they'll be on massive money, man. They'll they'll be on. They'll both be on over hundred k a week. And you, you don't want to be carrying that in the championship, there, especially when yeah. they've just invested in a new stadium as well. So it's uh, troubled times, like for Everton. 
glad I'm not a fan. <laughs> um, right, move, moving on, just kind of, I wanted to talk about um, Inanna at Man United. Like, it seems to be a modern theme where, you know, a keeper who's good with his feet kind of trumps a good keeper, almost. It's, it's, it, I, I, don't, I don't get it. Um, you know, a lot of teams are playing this way out from the back. You know, you, you look at Brighton, um, who are doing it uh, brilliantly. But when does it become, you know, that's an eccentric goalkeeper, or, or is it, an, or, or is it a liability? And I think Anana showed this weekend, and definitely in the past that he's got, you know, big mistakes in him on a consistent basis. Are you worried if you're Man United, Darren? Are you are you thinking that you've made a mistake in this investment, or are you, are you thinking that you'll you've kind of ironed these out through good coaching? No, I'm not. I'm not worried. Um... If I, I don't even want to pretend I'm a Man United fan, but no, I wouldn't personally. I wouldn't be. I wouldn't be worried now. So basically, the way I'd, the way I try and look at it is, De Gea was a, a good keeper for a lot of years, like, like really top keeper for a lot of years, but had mistakes in him in different ways to what Anana's made so far. And that's not not to not to say Anana will make mistakes throughout the season. I think how how they have to look at it is how do you want to play. And how does him starting the play and how does him playing out from his feet allow you to score more goals? And how does that compare with almost what you sacrifice in his sort of more traditional goalkeeping ability? And obviously, if it's weighted more towards him playing out from the back in the way he starts to play and the way he can move transitions on quickly is better for you than just having a keeper who can't play out with his feet but is maybe more reliable with shot stopping, but you concede more chances because of that. It is you balance it out like that. So it doesn't, it's unlikely you're going to find someone who's good at playing out from their feet, but then is like the world's best shot stopper. Like it's always going to be sort of weighted slightly more towards one thing. And you just, you pick the goalkeeper that works for the team that you want to play. I think the problem is Man United are sort of in this transition, bit of wanting to play out from the back, but they also seem to be conceding a lot of chances because the, the ball's coming back through the midfield. So I think when they sort out that the ball going like the goal that they conceded yesterday, for some reason, like it's from the corner and Rashford's last man, they just seem to be giving up a lot of chances. And if they can fix that midfield, which maybe Amrabat coming in helps with, then I think that takes the pressure off Onana in those sort of more traditional goalkeeping scenarios and he has less to do. So that's sort of that's how I would that's how I would look at it. I don't think he's just like hopeless goalkeeper, but he's good with his feet. He is he is a good keeper, but I think it's it's getting the balance of your team right and working that keeper into it. Yeah, for for sure. I, th- I think one for you, Ollie. Do, do you think that the mistakes are just amplified by kind of a leaky defence and unsettled, inconsistent defence? Um, you know, you hear, you hear people raving about um, Martinez, but is he that good? No, <laughs> he's not big. He's not strong. Well, he's he's a bit of a terrier, isn't he? But he's he's more. He reminds me more of a fullback, to be honest. And it's I'm not a massive fan of his. Um, but I think that's probably part of the thing, isn't it? It's they've got some centre halves there who um aren't the greatest. To, to to like if I can say that, I think um like Darren says, they're in a transition period, aren't they? And I think. It's just going to take a little bit of time for them to... Personally, if it was me, I would play Lindelof at the minute. 
Um, and obviously they've got Maguire, who's who's sort of frozen out, isn't he, at the minute? Um, they just need a little bit of organisation. Um, obviously they've turned it round yesterday, so it didn't matter in the end anyway, did it? But I just, nah, I don't really know. I don't, I don't think a lot about Man U. That's, that's probably my biggest problem is I like it when they lose and stuff. So I don't tend to think about the reasons why. Oh, definitely. Um it's yeah, they're, they're not a club that you worry about. <laughs> like, it's it's kind of been um you you, you kind of enjoy it when Man United do Wally right is a Newcastle fan. I think that's easy to say. Um <laughs> I definitely. Um Stephen just kind of to extend on that. Um obviously I it kind of feels like Man United have been going through a transition period for a long time now. Kind of I don't know, since since Ferguson almost. They had kind of a, a couple of years with Mourinho where um, it probably was a bit more stable. They were a bit more, um, probably weren't as attacking, but the, the defence wasn't as leaky, um, a bit more consistent. But Mourinho brings a whole lot of baggage and upsets a lot of players. Um, do you think Ten Hogs, the man for Man United, do you think he's going to ultimately turn it round and, and build what I guess the fans are looking for? Um. I think you've got to give him a bit more time, obviously. I mean, if you would say that someone came from the Dutch League, um, say they took over, I don't know, um, we'll just use Spurs as an example. Came, took over Spurs in his first season, he won a cup, he got to the second cup final, finished third, you'd think, oh, that's that's a decent season, that, you know what I mean? Um, so I know they started last season poorly, but then they kind of brought it back round. This season, I mean, yes, they've started poorly, but not really in terms of results. I think they've got six points. Um, so, aye, six, I think, because they lost against Spurs, aye. Um, so, they've actually had a better start than they did last season. Um, I think what baffles me is some of the recruitment. I mean, that Anthony lad for how much? 80, 80-odd, 90 million? That, to me, seems like a bit of a bit of a waste of money really I think you could have got maybe a decent player for about you know 50-60 I mean then I got that Diaby who looks decent I think he he's probably better than that I mean, they got him for what 40 45 something like that and then you could have used that other 40 million for another midfielder or something like that I, I just think that recruitment hasn't been too smart I think there's a lot of pressure on this new Highland lad up front he's he was what 80 odd million he's only 19-20 um so I think they just kind of buy people and assume that they're going to be stars immediately and it doesn't really work like that. Um, but I think in terms of Ten Hag, I, would, I don't really like the bloke, but I would definitely see sense and give him, you know, maybe another season, season and a half and see what he does. Um, but uh, it, it's definitely worrying in terms of performances, but in terms of points, which is the main thing at the end of the day, they're doing actually not too bad. But I think the signs, as Monty said, are clear for all to see that they're just getting run through in midfield. And they're pretty lucky that they've got six points, but I think they've got Arsenal next weekend. So I think that would be a good test for them, um, for them both, to be fair. I've had, like, I think this is like a long term systemic thing. And I'm sure Man United fans can tell us a bit better. But the recruitment has been so bad, and it's just like throwing massive money. Uh, what they think is the right thing to fix a problem. But because mm-hmm. they've done that so many times for different managers and different styles, you end up with this like backlog of players that you spent a lot of money on that are mm-hmm. on a lot of money. But to me, it just feels like ever since 
Ronaldo. They're just trying to buy the next Ronaldo. And that Anthony like has like it just smacks of that where they're like, oh, like he's gonna be the next world superstar. And it just hasn't worked. And they've invested so and they've put so much on it. Like and I know they've got more money to spend and they've got a bit more flex to do this, but there's just like and maybe this is because they need to succeed straight away. There's no like, oh, and maybe Hoyland sort of goes against this. There's no like, oh, let's buy this promising young player or like this sort of trusted player for, you know, probably not a small amount of money, but you're not talking like 90, 100 million who might not be a superstar, but actually does the job. This seems, this seems to be like they have to buy like this top end, highly rated player mm-hmm. rather than, Someone they can, someone they can rely on, and it, yeah, it's like it's sort of the money goes on the name and the potential rather than it does what is sensible and what is necessary. Hundred percent. It surely must be frustrating as a Man United fan seeing that recruitment come in. And it's kind of gets a, it's exciting, right? Seeing you buy a winger, a Brazilian winger for eighty million, you, you kind of the expectations are high. Um, but yeah, he's, he's not delivering, is he? Um, so I can hopefully, hopefully, Man United will finish outside the the Champions League places this year. But we'll we'll see. <laughs> um, let's uh, let's talk about West Ham. Currently top in the table. Um, you know, David Moyes' boys top of the table. What we're thinking? Um, again, they haven't really recruited a lot of people, but they've. I kind of feel like they've recruited well. James Ward-Prowse is a is a good signing. I think he's solid, especially for a for a team like West Ham. Um, received a lot of money from obviously the the race sale. Um, do I expect them to to put a bit of a run together, or I kind of when you dig a bit deeper in the Brighton stats, the the games at, at the weekend was all one sided, wasn't it? it? Was a bit of a smash and grab, but a good one at that. Um, what I'll come to you first, Darren. What is there a beauty in a smash and grab still like this, where they've kind of went to Brighton at twenty twenty two percent of the ball, um, but still had more XG. And Brighton? Well, I don't know. I, I don't know if I completely agree with that characterization of it. They've fully done a number on Brighton and they completely deserve to win that game. I don't think it was like... Like, obviously, they did sit deep and it was a bit of a... You know, Brighton got moised a little bit. But they had a clear game plan and they've got good players in, in midfield and in transition and then Antonio can just like eat ground up is unbelievable sort of like playing up top by himself so they've, they've played to their strengths and they've sort of just read what Brighton are going to do and they've accepted that they're going to pass the ball sideways for a lot of this like it wasn't until the last 10 minutes really that Brighton started to threaten and create chances I think there has to be room for it you can't have every single team playing possession football where they're looking to have 70 plus percent of the ball every game they're like I was the maths don't work you're going to have to teams are going to have to see what's in front of them and react to that obviously like teams are going to want to impose themselves but you as an away team going to Brighton I West Ham have looked at it and thought this is this is how we're going to play it and they've played it perfectly that's not going to work in every game but they you know they, they did similar to Chelsea the week before maybe had a little bit more of the ball but yeah, again, they've, they've used their strengths, and it's not a. It wasn't like a an Allardyce ten men behind the ball, boot at long. Like they, they've got good players in there, and they used them well. 
the signings that they've made, Rice is going to be hard to replace and they've almost replaced them with multiple players rather than one. Which obviously, like, you can only play 11 players, so you're not going to, you're going to have to make sacrifices elsewhere in terms of what Rice does. But, like, Pakatar's a good midfielder. It's probably going to be better again this season after a bit of, uh, you know, after a bit of bedding in, albeit if, if he's found out that he's been, you know, fiddling his betting accounts and uh, he might be in bother, but nothing's been proven on that, so let, like that, let that one go. But Ward Prowse looks like smart business. Alvarez looks like he'll do the dirty work, but can also play out. They're just like, I think the only thing with them is how, obviously they're going to be back in Europe again this season and that sort of affected their Premier League form last season. I think it's just like the, the consistencies or their inconsistencies. I think they'll probably end up somewhere between 8th and 12th. Yeah, definitely. I, I think there's, I think there's something to be said, isn't there, for a, a style of play where you you're kind of reacting to your position. Um, Ollie, I'll, I'll come to you, mate. It's it's all fine and well talking about how good teams play. Like Brighton, have got a, a certain way of playing, but like I love it when a team adjusts and molds to play against that formation. Um, it's kind of very old school, isn't it? And it, it's 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 good to see. You know, a team not necessarily having to to bend to fashion but a team that's willing to do something different to win the game. Definitely, and I think David Moyes has always been really good at that. I think if you if you think about like certain managers, if you think about the way Mourinho plays, he's got a certain style. I don't think Moyes has ever really had a, a particular style of football. I think he's adjusted, to, first of all, what he's had in front of him in terms of squad and uh, quality and that sort of thing, but also what, what what the other teams are doing as well and how they're setting up. And I think he's always been really good at that. I think there's a, there's a bit of a, a misconception about Moyes that he's he's categorised with the likes of Pardew and Allardyce and, and for those who watch Atletico Mince, like the British managers club, you know, where they, they go into a club and destroy an exit. Um, and, and there's this sort of running joke that, that these managers are, are just getting any job they can, getting sacked as quickly as possible and, and sort of getting a big payout in there. A sort of a, a bit of a, a joke, really, and I think Moyes has been sort of categorised as one of those. Where I don't think that's the case at all. I think he's he's got lots of qualities. He, he, at the end of the day, he's probably the last manager. Um, maybe he's one or two others. Martinez, um, who's had Everton consistently in the top half of the Premier League um, for for the last sort of fifteen years, isn't it? So um, if you look at the state of them now, I think they could really do with the likes of someone like Moyes. But I think Moyes has always been good at adjusting uh, his styles to to. Um, whether that's been, you know, the club that he's at and the squad that he's had, or whether who who they're playing against, he's always been someone who's really adaptable and, and really sort of clever with what he does. Um, I, I'm with uh, Monty. I think West Ham massively deserved that win yesterday. That the, the obviously came with the game plan as well themselves, and the the coped with Brighton really well. Definitely, definitely. Um. Steve's still coming to you, mate. As kind of a, a football consumer, right? And, and kind of, I, I know you've been on on football trips in in Germany and things like that, and, and and watch teams abroad. Kind of as a football fan or a neutral, what style of football do you do you enjoy? Like these teams that pass, pass, pass. You know, it's not. It can be pretty boring, can't it? It's like I'm looking at a few of the stats from this game, right? Um, Brighton. This is accurate passes. Brighton six hundred and fifty-five. West Ham one hundred and thirty-three. But big chances in the game. So Brighton had 25 shots, one big chance. West Ham had 12 shots and five big chances. Like, passing the ball unproductively, it's, it's boring, isn't it? 
It is, it is. And I think it's kind of, you know, we've seen this style for quite a while now. I think it was sort of Barcelona, Spain with the, when, when it sort of came in a few years ago. Um, but ultimately that kind of got results. And I'm not saying that this style doesn't work, but I think for me, I like seeing, I love it when a team puts together a game plan that was different to the previous week. So it matches against, you know, tries to sort of counter what the other team are doing. I think just to touch on yesterday, because I know the other lads have had their say on it, I think weirdly for West Ham, I think one of the turning points in the game was was Suchek going off and Ben Rama coming on. Um because that then gave really it had Paqueta going back into midfield um in a number ten and then it had sort of Ben Rama, Bowen and Antonio. And they're just absolutely pummeled and uh, brighten on the counter attack. And I think when you've got Ward Prowse, who's probably going to be one of the signings of the season, pinging balls left, right, and centre over the top, um, it's going to spell danger for some teams um, who do like their play sort of that more possession based football. And you've got three really quick players who will just kind of get in behind on the counter attack. Um, I think I do like a good counter attacking side. Um, think it's an art in itself, the counter-attack. Um, knowing when to go, knowing who to go, knowing when to play the ball, knowing how to stay on side, you know, when the defenders push up. Um, so I think if I was to sort of watch a particular style of play, I do enjoy watching the counter-attacking style. What about you, lads? What's yours? So I quite like, I do like quite high-intensity high intensity football but clearly that's not sustainable for 90 minutes so you within that you have to accept that there may be times where you don't have the ball but there's something in that about you know going at the right time picking your moments which is which is smart i agree with you what i quite like is having a game plan that works for that game which you know like there's so much planning and like data analysis that goes in now that i'm not saying that premier league clubs don't think about this all day, every day ahead of the game. But seeing it executed is really is really satisfying when you know you like pick up with particular players to target or you sort of like have particular players in your team that you want to utilize to exploit to exploit weaknesses. I don't dislike that sort of fast passing possession based style, but what what I do like is when if a team's sitting deep and it's hard to get through, what do you do next? So we'd like having that plan B, that plan C I like watching teams change in-game and I like watching managers be proactive and say, look, we can't get through this low block because they're just putting 10 men behind the ball. So we're going to do this. And I just like seeing, I like seeing that reaction to it. So that like in-game management. Just just to echo that, that's, no. I, I, I love that. I, I like, and we've seen Eddie Howe do it a few times at Newcastle. Um, you know, I think, I feel like managers earn the money when they make those changes in-game. You know, it's all it's all good and well having your, your your plan at the start of the match, but kind of expecting that to to go to plans pretty. Yeah, it's not often that it does, right? So, making subs, making transitional tactical changes. Um, yes, yeah, it's, it's essential, isn't it, to to win? I, I feel like Pep and the, all the top managers do this. It's kind of the the next level elite coaching, isn't it? I think if there was one game that I can think of that, that sort of sums up exactly what Monty's saying there, it was Barcelona v Chelsea, the semi-final of the Champions League about, I can't remember what date it was, but 2004-05 maybe, am I right? I can't remember, um, where Barcelona just kept on playing the same, they were trying to find gaps in Chelsea's defence, such a low, like, 
um, Chelsea were defending so deep, they were almost like in the box most of the time. And Barcelona just kept on and kept on trying to break them down and trying to find gaps in that. Um, and Chelsea ended up winning. And, and I think I was watching the game thinking Barcelona need to start having some long-range shots and they need to try and mix things up a little bit because it's so predictable what they were trying to do. Chelsea were just... I mean, Chelsea at the time were probably one of the best defensive sides in Europe. Um, and, and that game sort of sums it up. I can just think... When Monty was talking there, I was just thinking about how... Um, how that game went and, and in the end they couldn't break them down and they didn't try anything different and I, I was surprised at the time obviously with the being Barcelona that they couldn't just adapt it well they didn't want to adapt they just wanted to carry on doing what they were doing um, and that, that sort of stuck in my mind really when, when Darren was talking there I mean there are like I get it there are arguments both sides where you like you keep playing that same way because that's your strength but also as the game goes on the other team gets tired so you try and exploit you're trying to exploit that. The more the other you have the ball, and the other team chases. Tiredness should create gaps. So I, you know, I understand that there are arguments the other side, but I just eventually you do have to try something different. And just seeing managers pre- be proactive and, and doing that is uh, is something I like to see. Hundred percent. I, th- I think um, it's kind of you sometimes see the plan is to have three plans in a game, isn't it? Like I think uh, Benitez used to be the master of it, didn't he? Used to mm-hmm. be like turgid football for eighty minutes, and then he would kind of go gung ho for the last ten if it was nil nil. And it's it's kind of what what tools you've got to um to use, isn't it? So like what 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 players have you got in the squads, and what can they carry out, and, and what are their attributes? And so it's, it's yeah, it's um it goes a lot deeper, doesn't it? Um, but just I'm just looking at West Ham's next three fixtures, right? They've got Luton away, Manchester City at home, and then Liverpool away. So Kind of probably three points in the next game against Luton, but a, a tough, tough run of fixtures there for them. So it's probably good that they've had a good start. Um, I'm just wondering that Luton game's the first game at Canterbury Road on a Friday night, though, isn't it? So that's uh, that's going to change the dynamic of like previous Luton games. Hundred percent. I think the atmosphere will be uh, be rocking on this for that one. Um, Do they let's say, uh, I don't know. What's what's your thoughts? Like London versus like a slightly outside of London derby. Who who would the derby? <laughs> <laughs> Just yeah. sounds like one, doesn't it? Um, MK Dons or Washford, isn't it for Luton? Fair enough. The outside London derby. <laughs> <laughs> Let's uh, let let's move on. There's not a, we've not had an opportunity to do this because Newcastle haven't played yet. But I, I was hoping we could just preview the Newcastle Liverpool game. Um, Stephen, I'll come to you first, mate. What what did Newcastle need to do to win this game? We've got a, a bit of a turgid record against Liverpool, but still feel quite positive. What do we need to do? What what's the the way to win here? Um, I think we have to. Score more goals than them. Um, <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> I think. Oh, I, I think we have to start fast. Um, I think we've we've done that um, against Villa. We've we've started on the front foot. We kind of pressed them high, um, and then Penali took his chance. Um, but I think when we, if we do start fast and fingers crossed, we do score on any goal first sort of ten, fifteen minutes, 
well, can it then let them, well, can it then sort of sit back and let them settle into their game and, you know, have them come back and score one, maybe two, um, because, you know, that would obviously make things make things harder. Um, I think our big strength is one midfield three. So I think we've got to win that midfield battle. Put pressure on that fullback. Um, Red Tenati was out, so that's either going to be Mark Gomez, who might be a bit sort of shy of game time. So, you know, maybe try and pull Isaac in that way, have maybe Harvey Barnes if he starts going inside Trent in that particular fullback uh, centre half. Um, but I trust Eddie, I think he'll have his game plan ready. Um, and I'm surprised and slightly confident. I think we've had a really tough start. Um, so I think if we do come out of this with a win, six points um, out of nine, considering we played Man City away and Liverpool at home and Villar as well, three of the strongest teams in the league, um, that I would be absolutely buzzing. 100%. Um, I was just, I think I was reading NUFC.com earlier, and I think Trent Alexander Arnold is doubtful as well. So, like, that could be a, a big one for us, couldn't it? Although, is it? Like, so if, he's, I think he's back in. I think Klopp said he's, he's back fit. in, is he? So if he, if he's there, right? It's, who who do you think's gonna be the best option against him? Because Trent, he's a good player, right? He's he's got a great passing range. He's not the best defensively. Quite often operates in that um, kind of inside centre midfield from right back position. Who who would you go with, Darren, between uh, Anthony Gordon or Harvey Bones on this one to give us the best best uh, foot for one? Uh, it's it's tough this one because I think that side of the pitch. Is where it's going to be. Is where the games is where the game's going to be won. So, whether it be Gordon or Barnes on the trend, and then Salah on the Dan Burn, and then the like the track and that the fullbacks are going to have to do. I think that's going to be the that's going to be the key side. Will be like Diaz is looking good on on the other side for them. I think I'd probably still start with Gordon again, just for that fast start. Use his. Pace, energy, but I'd probably look to give Barnes like a good half hour, maybe a bit longer, because I think actually where we'll get the ultimate joy is getting inside of of Trent, and that's Barnes's big strength. But I think actually like setting that up with Gordon just like running him for an hour is probably how I'd play it. But wouldn't be disappointed if if either of them started. To be honest, I can see the I can see why Barnes coming inside would be maybe how you want to start the game as well. Yeah, for certain. I think um, Oli for, for for Newcastle, one of the one of the key decisions is it, it kind of sounds like Joe Linton's going to be fit, but if he's not, um, are you thinking it's going to be Sean Longstaff or, or Elliot en- Elliot Anderson coming? Um, and then just additional to that, are you confident in the in the back four? They were quite good against City, right? They, I, I kind of felt like they were solid, dealt with what they needed to, but. Well, like Darren said, there, Luis Diaz is is looking pretty pretty good this uh, this season, is it so far? Um, and cause problems. Are you are you confident that we've got the the back four ready for the challenge of Liverpool? Absolutely, yeah. I don't have any worries at all about the back four. I thought Botman and Shaw were absolutely outstanding against City. I think they were probably my two man of the matches. Um, I thought they handled Holland really well between them. And I think, likewise, like at the end of the day, like we we are no mugs at the back. Last season, nobody conceded less goals than us. I know Man City were um, conceded the same goals, but nobody conceded less goals than us. Um, Dan Byrne gets some criticism at times, and he's not the, the the quickest, and he's obviously not a natural left back. But it, but he's 
he's outstanding in what he does, and I think he's he's in the play, he's in the squad for sorry, he's in the first team for a for a reason. He deserves to be. He's, he's there on merit. Um, Salah, Salah's a funny one. I, I speak to quite a few Liverpool fans. I'm, I'm in a group in there. Um, there's a few Liverpool fans in there, and that they're not massively impressed with Salah this season. I know the stats are difficult to argue with, but he's he's very. Lots of them say that he goes missing and he, he'll he'll make. It's almost like he's sort of trying to make sure he's the one who gets the goals and things like that as well. So he might maybe passes and things like that are going astray a little bit, and that's the accusation that I'm getting from them. I, I don't watch Liverpool a massive amount. Um, so, so I can't really confirm or deny that. But I'm not massively worried about the defense. I think I think the game will be won in midfield, um, and I think Longstaff will come in if Joe Linton isn't there. I think it, obviously if Joe Linton's fit and he can play, then he'll be in. But I think um, Longstaff will be in for his legs over Anderson. It's difficult though because Anderson sort of deserves to to have had more game time than he's got, really, doesn't he? But I think this is a this is a massive game, and I think we need the legs in midfield of Longstaff. Um, no, defensively, I'm not worried at all. Like, not at all. Certainly, uh, I totally agree with that. To be honest, Ali, I think the defense is looking pretty good. Um, on on kind of the narrative of the match, Stephen, the kind of it seems as though there's a, a media narrative trying to build uh, Newcastle versus Liverpool, Klopp versus how. There's no kind of love lost there, is there? I think Eddie Howe said in his press conference, he was you know him and he could never be friends with Klopp. I think was the headline. Wasn't really what he said in the press conference, but it seems as though the the local media, the national media, are trying to to build something of a of a rivalry up between Newcastle and Liverpool, isn't it? Yeah, I think um, I think there's a few different sort of reasons why that may be. I think the the, well, the media obviously, I think baits sometimes Newcastle fans into clicks and. You know, because we're a very reactionary fan base on, you know, for example, Twitter or Instagram, Facebook, whatever. Um, if there's a headline or something, people just kind of jump on that straight away so we get a lot of interaction and that sort of thing. Um, and I think people are maybe trying to drive up these rivalries because hopefully, you know, finish top four last season, hopefully we'll, you know, we'll kind of break into this sort of traditional big six. Um and I think some people are also kind of harping on a little bit, you know, historically as well. You know, I had the classic 4 threes. I've had a lot of battles over the years. Um, and I think some people are trying to reignite that, really, which I'm all for. You know, I would, I would rather be having, I would rather us be, you know, have beef with new fans, Liverpool fans, than, you know, Cardiff fans or Sheffield Wednesday fans. You know what I mean? I'd rather be upper echelons of the arguments and I'm hoping to do what's talking on the pitch and Eddie Howe can laugh in his face and there you go Klopp gets sent <laughs> off happy days that'd be good to see I think probably about does it I, I, um, what about, we'll do some predictions for, for the match Newcastle-Liverpool uh, we'll go Monty first what are you thinking I think there's going to be I think there's going to be goals in it, but just been burned too many times recently off Newcastle Liverpool. I'll go Desmond twos each. Ali, what you're thinking? I'm torn between one one and two one to us. I, I think we'll I think we'll have the chances to win it. It's just whether we take them or not. I, I'm, I'll say two one to us. Two one. Wait, what what do you reckon, Stephen? I reckon we'll win three two. Uh, and Anthony Gordon will score 
Zettel scoring Kazel and he'll score the winner in the last five minutes. That's a really specific note. There you go. I'll go 2-0. What about the early game? Anyone giving Sheffield United a chance against Man City? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't think so. I think that could be a cricket score, couldn't it, to be fair? Um, Right. Well, there... I think we're about we're about done, lads. Let's end with the the, the stats corner because we've been working hard on with stats um, in the build up to this. We'll go around the table. We'll just all we all we do here is present our best stat. So we'll go to Darren first. What uh, what stat have you got for this this week, Mel? I'm glad you've I'm glad you've come to me first because don't have many in this one. This one was stolen anyway. Um, my stat is that Reese James, the footballer, not the comedian, has. His thirty-six percent of his starts as a professional footballer have been for Wigan. Good starts, Ollie. And he was only there a season. Uh, uh, well, funny one for me. I had a really good start before the podcast started, and then I, I put it in the group just to to remind myself of it. Um, and former popped his head in and said, "That's a shit start. Everyone knows that." So he sort of wind out my sails a little bit there. So I had to go with another one. Um, the, the first one that jumped to mind was that Roy Hodgson is older than the Bernabeu. <laughs> <laughs> An excellent, excellent bit of stats. That's all you... Roy Hodgson like. fought in the Spanish Civil War. <laughs> <laughs> what, uh, have you got a stat for us, Stephen? That's mad, isn't it? That's a mad start, that one. I think it may be winning. That, where do you think that's from? Do you think it's because of like the way they try to start games or because of like mentality? Like concentration levels? One of the one of the other concerns will be if because I mean Ramsdale was definitely at fault for the Southampton one. Like if it's coming from the keeper and and it's happened again, Raya's ready to pounce, isn't he? Mm-hmm. Like just waiting for that start. If it happened at Bournemouth and Southampton, it may just be a strong westerly wind on the south coast. <laughs> <laughs> they were all at they were all at the Emirates though, weren't they? Oh were they? Not me then. I do. To be honest, so I've been putting together the agenda for this, so it's not as in-depth of a stat as yours, but um, I was just looking at Messi's stats, right, because Messi's been phenomenal, hasn't he, in the MLS so far. Um, 
Did you see the price of the tickets for the last game? It was like four hundred and eighty dollars. Like they've obviously ramped up the prices just to go and watch. Anyways, so in his career so far, he scored one hundred and thirty-nine penalties. A hundred percent of those have been with his left foot. So that's um. <laughs> out, out of those, um, out of those 139 penalties, 108 goals. He's missed how he's missed 30. So he's not, he's, he's missed quite a lot of goal uh, penalties, there, hasn't he? He has, I. Anyways, I think that pretty much does it. To be honest, let's just I'll quickly shout out. Um, so you can find us on Twitter at we are hfr. Uh, you can jump on our website and, and, and grab your pins. There's still some stock there, uh, which is we are hfr.bigcartel.com. Um, and that's about wraps us us. Anything else from anyone else before we go? Don't think so. No. You know, pleasure, enjoy, gents. Enjoy the football and enjoy the holiday as well. All right. I'll just get on the next one. Bye-bye. Cheers, lads. See you, everyone.